Welcome to the Got Your Six podcast. This podcast brings together current service members and veteran high performers to share their methods, strategies, and ideas delivered in an informative and most importantly, actionable way that'll help you lead yourself and those around you from the battlefield to the boardroom. Coming to you every episode, I'm your host, Tony Nash, and into the breach. Nothing mentioned on this podcast is an endorsement or opinion of the Department of Defense. I got your six, we got your back. Got your six, we got your back. Got your six, we got your back. I got your six. Sixers, what an unbelievable treat we have. We constantly talk here at the Gosh Your Six podcast about looking for people and individuals and organizations that are constantly about empowering veterans and the community writ large. Our guest today here lives, breathes, eats, sleeps, that exact thing. And I'm just so fortunate that we have him here today. Adam Bratz, welcome to the Gosh Your Six podcast. Man, thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. Now, as you had you know, eight years in the Air Force and you're You've gone back through, you've done a lot with the Wisconsin Veteran Chamber of Commerce. Going back to school, that's that's a lot to kind of put on your soldiers and endure, plus all the other you know organizations that you work with. Where do you think that comes from, that drive to constantly serve other people? Oh, man. <laughs> some would call it a drive. Some would call it a tendency to just like get excited and bite off way more than I can chew. But yeah, I think, you know, I take my, my Air Force core values of, you know, integrity and service and, and excellence very seriously. Uh, service is important to me and serving others is, you know, th- the way that I have found purpose after service. And everybody can find purpose in different ways. Sometimes it's service oriented, sometimes it isn't. But, but what I have found is that the thing that makes me tick is helping other people uh, overcome adversity. And that's manifested in different ways since I've been out of the service, mostly in the nonprofit world. I've spent all but a year since I've gotten out of the military in the nonprofit world. But even when I was in the private sector, I, I devoted a lot of that time to helping people that were in need. And that's just something that makes me happy. And so so that's kind of where that's where I'm at now. When you look at overcoming adversity and helping other people, do you have a specific instance where you can trace that back to whether someone helped you? You know, I think this is a really good question. It would be hard to pinpoint just one person who helped me. You know, it, it takes a village and we're all just a product of awesome leaders and influence and and great people and great experiences and some not so great experiences, you know, that that are very educational and teach us really well. Uh, it, it'd be hard for me to pinpoint one person. There's a hundred people who have really, you know, helped me to overcome periods of adversity and and challenges. And yeah, I'd, I'd say it's it's an amalgamation of all of that. And I would I would say that the the service portion I discovered when I was in the in the military still. You know, in the latter portion of my my tenure in the Air Force, I was an instructor, and for me, you know, uh, helping basic trainees get from point A to point B, from you know, rainbow clad right off the bus to excellent warrior airmen who are marching in their graduation parade, like seeing that transformation, that rapid transformation that you would normally see in students over years and years and years, something that you know I get to see it every eight weeks. Every six, every six to eight weeks, 
that I think solidified it for me. Like I got to be that person in some regards. There were a lot of other instructors. It wasn't just me, you know, but like I got to be that person for, for some of these people. And some of them were like, thank you. You know, I learned X from you and I'll never forget X from you. And I was like, man, I want to continue to do that for people. Cause I have a lot of people who did that for me. Who did it for you first? The farthest back memory you can kind of pull from where somebody, you know, reached out and helped you to overcome adversity. I, I can tell you exactly why. It was my piano teacher when I was in grade school. And I, when I was in like sixth or seventh grade, you know, I was being bullied. I wasn't, I wasn't like lowest on the totem pole, but I was pretty close and uh, socially at that time. And I remember I had had a particularly rough day at a piano lesson after school. So, you know, it was the 90s. So I came home from school and it was just me. Like there's no parents. Parents just left us there. <laughs> you know, yeah. The latchkey life. I, kn I know yeah. it well. You know, we had the key hidden behind the thing and we, you know, and so I got my stuff together. I walked to my piano lesson and got like two minutes into my piano lesson. And I just like, I couldn't focus. And my piano teacher, Diane Falk, who is awesome, still a big part of my life. She's great. She was like, are you okay? And I just like, broke down, like just started weeping. So thinking about, you know, from an educator's perspective here, she had like this elementary schooler just like sobbing, you know, but she took this, this pedestrian, you know, music lesson, this thing that happens all day, every day, multiple times for her every week for me and turned it into this non-musical life lesson. And she didn't, she didn't lecture me. She didn't say anything. She didn't support like, well, she supported, but it wasn't like she gave me this, this, this one liner that like changed everything for me. She was flipping there, man. She was just present and she gave me the moment that I needed. Like she just listened. And when that, when, when I felt okay, when I had let it out, she was like, all right, let's get back to work. And then she used the the educational environment she used music to help me recover and by the time i came home i was fine and that for me was a solidifying moment you know and i played piano ever since just never stopped you know and and it has to do with her in more ways than she will ever know but i think having empathy and having a big set of ears a big heart and a big set of ears that for me is, was probably the first, like, I can go back and say, like, that was a moment where I had someone in a position of, uh, you know, educational authority, the trainer, be more than just a trainer. First off, that, that's an incredible story. I have, like, literal chills on my arm <laughs> from hearing it. What made you feel like that psychological safety in order to, like, allow her to meet you where you were at? Because I think that's not only do you have to meet the people where they're at, but you have to present an environment for them to feel safe to share and open up. What do you think allowed you to feel that psychological safety at that moment? That's such a great question. And that's a really good point. I hadn't thought of, you know, like I had had a rough day and it probably run into 10 teachers, you know, or 10 adults where I, or 10 friends where I could have emoted and, and let that go but it took until that moment for me to feel like, and if, if I would have seen my parents, I probably would have too, you know, but I just, I hadn't by that point, but, but being 
there was something about that place being in a in a place of instruction with a teacher who clearly cared about me very deeply that I guess I just knew subconsciously that that was a safe place. And for me, p- playing music was a safe place from then on out. You know, when I had things going on in my life that weren't, you know, that maybe weren't so rosy, that's where I went. And I would, I had a keyboard in my room, you know, as a teenager, that's what I would do. I would either listen to music or I'd put my headphones on and would just play. So that became kind of a, kind of a therapy for me. And I just, I just realized that because you asked me that really good question just now. It's like a coach and an athlete. You can have 52 people on a football team. The coach and coaches have to be able to respond to each athlete in order to maximize potential and get the team to rally around, you know, a purpose-driven mission. How are you able to do that with all the different stakeholders that you constantly interact with? It really is about keeping the bigger picture in mind. You know, we can get, when we're deep in the weeds on something and and when we spend so much time boots on the ground in, in a kind of a tactical setting and we have deadlines and we have things that need to be accomplished, a lot of times we forget the the bigger picture of what's important. And I often do. We all do. And you know, we get distracted from this from the strategic vision. But when you are a football coach, when you are a music educator, when you are some instructor of any kind, it could be athletics, it can be the arts or anything in between or even a classroom teacher. Yeah, passing the test is important. Okay, but it's about more than passing the test. If you're a music educator, it's about teaching this song or getting through a recital, but it's about more than the recital. If you are a football coach, it's, it's about more than being able to run the plays and finish the game and win the game. And I know we focus on that a lot, but that's not the important part. If you're a football coach, 99.99999% of your your trainees are not going to be in the NFL. That's just a reality. They may not even have a career in that. So is their instruction and what their inculcation and indoctrination, that's kind of a negative word, but inculcation, their their motivation and what they instill in those kids and teach them, is it about getting to this end result of performing at the highest level? Uh, music educators, 99.999% of their students are not going to be in a professional symphony orchestra or be recording on albums, be, be studio musicians in LA. You know, you're as a teacher, 99% of your students are not going to become doctoral literary masterpiece writers or whatever, scholars, you know, but it, that's that that doesn't matter. It's the bigger picture stuff and focusing on no matter how granular we become and we need to when we're faced with deadlines and uh, measurements and metrics, we all have to get tactical from time to time. But if we lose sight of the strategic and that what we are teaching is not this end result of the NFL or a symphony orchestra or being a scholar, uh, if, if we're focused on the like teaching the skills, the teamwork, the, the collaborative environment, the empathy – the, the understanding, the critical thinking and reasoning, if we lose sight of that, then, then we're not good educators anymore. You know, it, it really is the, the journey and not the destination. What do you say to yourself when you feel like you get lost in the weeds and, you know, you're kind of just in the noise as opposed to being like a signal on the journey as opposed to looking to reach a destination? Well, I don't always get it right. And I don't always catch myself in the moment. 
You know, it's usually in hindsight where I'm like, oh, dude, what, what, what am I doing? Sometimes I do it in the moment, you know, and a lot of it has to do usually with parenting, you know, where I'm focused on X, Y, Z, trying to get this thing done and my, my kids trying to get my attention. And, you know, sometimes I'm like, look later, you know, we all do that. Like, okay, I'll get to you later. But a couple times I've gone like, wait a minute, what I'm doing is literally so dumb compared to me validating my kids need to understand that I'm there for them. And there is a balance. Obviously, they can't just like get comfortable with inter- you're in a meeting and they just run in and, you know, there, there's a balance. But like if I'm, you know, doing something in the workshop or if I'm, I don't know, yard work or something like he can interrupt. My kids can interrupt me when I'm doing that sort of thing. And that's that's me focusing on tactical deadlines instead of the strategic reality, which is why do let's use yard work as an example. Why am I raking leaves? You know, <laughs> it's it's so I can have a place that I am that I am taking care of that is a a uh, comfortable environment for my family to live and thrive in. So if in the process of raking leaves, I'm being an impatient jerk to a family member, then I've lost sight, haven't I? Like, so if my son wants to come interrupt me and show me a thing he made with his Legos when I'm raking, uh, then I, I got to put the rake down, folks. And I don't always put the rake down, but I'm trying to be better about putting the rake down. We should all put the rake down. At the end of the day, right, it's about not only our kids, but ourselves throughout life. And our journey mm. is discovering and leveraging that authentic voice that's inside of us. And if we're saying, hey, you know, make sure you're present with who you're present with and you don't live that, there's a massive disconnect. While you might not talk about it outward, you have to fight that battle internally. You know, the, it, it, I just can't help but think, and this, this may be a spoiler, uh, for those of you that have watched Breaking Bad, I made a post on this on LinkedIn about this on LinkedIn quite some time ago. You know, the whole time, and I won't give it away. Everybody who knows that Walter White's doing bad things, whenever his family's like, Why are you doing this? He's like, I did it for my family. I did it for my family. I did it for my family. Like for seasons and seasons, like he says it three times an episode. And all of us know that that's baloney because look what it does to his family. But then finally, one of the final episodes, he says to what's, what's his wife's name, Skylar? He said, he says, I did it. And she's like, Oh my gosh, if you say this one more time, I'm going to lose my mind. And he goes, I did it for me. I was good at it and it made me feel good. That to me is such a powerful, honest, self-reflective moment. It's such a great show in so many ways. But that to me is one of the most powerful, powerful things. Because we see a lot of people put so much of themselves into their work, so much time, so much thought, so much after-hour stuff on their occupation, on their job, on their obsessions and their hobbies. Uh, on their side hustles, on their entrepreneurial endeavors. And they say like, I'm doing this for my family, but are you really, you know, are you doing it because it makes you feel important? Are you doing it because you want to rise and get the big gig or do, you know, because at the end of the day, your, your, your family wants you, they want you. And, you know, if, if you spend all of your effort and your focused attention 
on building stability, wealth stability for your family, but you're not actually providing emotional, psychological stability for any of them, you're going to look back on all of those years when they're gone and in college and they don't rely on you the way that you wish they did. You're going to have regrets, you know? So it's like, if you're telling yourself, and I've heard it a thousand times and I've heard it once, like, oh, I'm, I'm, foc- I'm working 80 hours a week for my kids. Yeah, well, your kids hate it. They don't, they don't, they want you. Like, they don't, they don't need a new bike. They'd rather have a used bike and you. So that's, that's, you know, it's just strategic, that, that strategic thinking, like what, what is really important and, and being self-reflective and like objective when looking in the mirror. And that strategic thinking is so important because you have to own it because like, if you don't own it and you just keep making these assumptions, like, oh, it's for them, it's for other people. It's like you said, you're going to walk away with nothing and no one, and you're just be with yourself. Um, because you never had those lines of communication. Do you think that has allowed you to continue to improve your life because you own it, right? If you're doing something for you, you're like, hey, I I know I'm doing this for me, but I'm also going to go do something for them, right? Spending time, putting the rake down. Or is there something else that kind of, you know, has come into your life that has been more like empowering or helped you improve overall? Well, I don't, I don't know if I've improved all that much. You know, it's, it's like the more, the more you learn and the more you grow, the more you, the more you realize how how far you have to go. Like objective self-reflection is a superpower, man, but it is painful. It is painful. It is hard. (laughs) It is hard to look in the mirror. I mean, we have, we have so many mechanisms to protect our egos and ourselves from self-reflection to prevent us from having to go through the uncomfortable task of admitting that we are flawed and wrong and have work to do and you know which we all do but what i will say is any any time that i have made an improvement have made steps towards making myself better or the situation for my family better or my employment situation better literally every single time it took an understanding that was objectively self-reflective every single time. I hardly ever drink anymore, for example. I'm not like actively not drinking, but I, it's, it's months and months and months in between, and I never do it at home. And that took, and this is the first time I've really talked about this with anybody other than my family, but it took me having self-reflective moment, like a truly like, you know what, man? you're not in as con- in as much control of this as you think you are and you're you're doing it more than you would admit and it's impacting you and your family more than you'd admit you know because up until that point you know anytime somebody was like oh aren't you drinking too much beer or whatever i'd be like i play the victim like you're exaggerating you know what i mean but the second i actually had a a reflective moment about it and really allowed myself to say like look i'm not being good right now And what I'm doing is not worth, like the juice isn't worth the squeeze right now. Like it is not worth the negative impact that it is having on my family. You know, whether I think it's warranted or not, whether I think it should annoy anybody or not, like it is. And since that time, it's been years and, and it just goes months and months and months and months in between. And I think it took an understanding. 
And my career after service didn't progress until I had a self-reflective moment and said, you know, stop playing the victim. Stop talking about what you think you're owed due to your experience. The bottom line is, you know, you aren't owed jack crap because you're a veteran. You know, it, the, the civilian workforce does not understand your service. They see eight years. They say, thanks for your service. They don't look at any line in your resume beyond that. And you have to prove it to them. The second I had that self-reflective moment, it was like the clouds parted and the skies opened and my career actually started to develop. And it's like, look, I don't care if you think this sucks. You have to pay your dues again. You have 10 plus years of professional experience and a master's degree. They don't give a shit. They don't care. It's like it's they want results. And they want relevant experience and you're going to have to prove it that you can do this and you're going to have to prove that you've done it. And the second I realized that like, I'm not owning anything, I got to start over. It's, you know, uh, is the second my career started to take off and it did rapidly. So, so the long winded answer to your question, um, in every regard, whenever I've made a positive step in my life or my career or you name it, it always came from a moment of like looking in the mirror and really, truly giving honest advice to the guy in there. I really appreciate your vulnerability throughout through this conversation. And you covered a lot right there. But what I want to know is when you do that objective self-reflection, does it always come across the same way? Or does it look the same when you kind of strip it down to its bare bones? Or is it situational dependent? It's situational. Because like I said, I don't always like I make mistakes every day. We all make mistakes every day. I do things that are not optimal every day, you know, and they don't always lead to a truly self-reflective moment. You know, I've, I've repeated mistakes, you know, sometimes it takes a while for me to get to that moment. And sometimes I don't, there's still things that I need to work on and still things that I need to be able to look in the mirror and say like, dude, you're not, you're not, you're not good here. You're not doing this right. So I would say it's situational, but really whenever there is a conflict like an interpersonal conflict, a work conflict, whenever there is a conflict in between like where my life is and what my aspirations are, whenever there is a miss, maybe not a conflict, a misalignment. Yeah. Whenever there's a misalignment, the first thing that we do from self-preservation is we look externally. Like it, it, we are wired to look externally. The problem is, is that 98% of the time, <laughs> the, the reason for what we're experiencing is, is in the mirror. It's right there in front of us, you know? So that, that's why, I mean, like evolution wise, we're not, we're not wired for success. We're, we're wired to be, you know, to preserve ourselves. Uh, so I, whenever there's a conflict or misalignment, I always try to say, what am I doing wrong? You know, am I doing something wrong? Even if there are people around me saying like, oh no, it's not your fault. I immediately go to, is there a way that I could have handled this differently? Is there something I could have done or could be doing differently? And that's tough because it can be a little depressing. Like that's not an easy thing to do. But if you're able to take those, those self-reflective insights and take your emotion away from them, which is something you have to train over time and I'm still working on, but if I can take that feedback and take corrective measures, then I grow like every time. And I think that's when, when everybody truly grows, you go to the gym. When do you, when do you grow? 
when do, when do you when do you gain muscles when you stress yourself out you shock yourself you know if you just go and do things that are comfortable you're not gonna you know you're not gonna get swole exactly and what's so critical about that feedback too is you start to assess patterns right one data point mm. is just that right two is a line and then three you start to see trends where you can take that feedback use that performance metric that you've just established and then leverage that to get better so as we kind of wrap up Adam. I want to close with one final question. Adam Bratz, how are you better today than yesterday? Oh, man. <laughs> it's tough to answer that because the real growth happens incrementally and like in these tiny little baby steps over a long period of time. You know, when we, when we try to make drastic changes, then they, they usually are hard to preserve and maintain, you know? So I try to be like a tiny, like an incremental piece better than I was yesterday. And then over time, then you have built sustainable habits. And, you know, like I'm better today than I was yesterday because today I started my day off by reading, which I didn't do the day before. I skipped it. And... I, yesterday I, I didn't eat any refined sugars day before I, I had just a little bit like, like th these are the tiny victories, man. Like these <laughs> wars are, they're, they're won in the, in the trenches with tiny little victories. Right. And so, yeah, I wouldn't be able to say that I'm better today than I was yesterday in these huge monumental ways, but I am better now than I was last year because of the tiny things that I've improved on, on a day-to-day -day or week-to-week -week basis. And we are here with you to stack those wins because why, like you said, they're incremental. In the long term, they're massive. What's the book you're reading right now? Uh, I just opened up The Obstacle is the Way by Ryan Holiday. I'm a huge fan of his writing. I was introduced to him by a colleague of mine. Actually, he was he's my boss right now. Awesome guy named Saul Newton. And he made Ego is the Enemy the required reading for all staff members when I started working for his organization. And Ryan Holiday, man, he uses a lot of a lot of quotes and a lot of references from antiquity and from like the the Greek philosophers, and uh, it's really, really dense, great writing. And before that, uh, yesterday I just finished Military Career Transition. Yep, insights from the other side of the desk, or from the employer side of the desk, by Bill Kiefer. I think I'm pronouncing that correctly, Kiefer. Hands down, the best military transition book out there. Everybody needs to read that book. And there are a lot of good, that's a, there's a lot of good stuff out there. Herb Thompson's book is really good. Friend of the show. Yeah, there's just so much good stuff out there. I love Herb, man. Uh, his, his book is fantastic. But I'm telling you, Bill Kiefer's book, that's, that was, if I had that before I transitioned, my goodness, it might have saved me a lot of heartache. We will make sure we link both books in the show notes of this episode. And what we also want to put in the show notes is how can people get a hold of you, Adam? I know you're big on LinkedIn. LinkedIn's the best way. Yeah, just find me on LinkedIn and don't be, don't be bashful. Drop me a line. And, and if I don't reply right away, ping me again in a, in a week because sometimes I just get bogged down and I you know forget. And if I don't respond in the moment, sometimes it just doesn't happen. 
Uh, if you're reaching out with like an automated sales pitch sort of thing and you're trying to sell me a franchise opportunity, you're probably not going to hear back from me. <laughs> but but if you need support or help, I mean, there are times when people have reached out and said like, hey, can you help my brother? He's a veteran and he's struggling. It's like, okay, what's his phone number? You know, like there are so many people who have just like perfect strangers who have been, you know, like I've got you. And there's not enough of that in our community. There really isn't. It's shocking because we got everybody's back in service. You know, we take a bullet for a neighbor, but there, there, there's just so much backstabbery that happens and clickiness in, in the veteran ecosystem. It's really frustrating. There's not enough people that are just like, I got you and they really got you. So like, I'm trying to be, I try to be that person, like to the best of my ability. So, uh. So please don't be bashful about reaching out and saying like, I need help. I may not be the best person to help you, but I will point you in the direction. It's like if you need a resume writer, that's not me, but I know somebody who I can hook you up with, you know, so I'll, I'll, I'll do my best. I will try to do my best for you. Adam, thank you so much for being a steward, you know, not only of the veteran community, but here on the episode, right? Sharing your strategies, your methods, your ideas, the privilege of your time, and most importantly, Thanks for having our six. Appreciate it. You got it, man. Thank you. Sixers, thank you for listening to another episode of the Got Your Six podcast. If you got something out of this, be a battle buddy. Share with a friend, pass it along. If you're listening on Apple or Spotify, make sure you leave us a review and give us as many stars as you think we warrant because we love what we do here at the Got Your Six podcast. We're always adapting and evolving this podcast because of you, the Sixers. And if you're listening on Spotify, hit that follow button. You'll never miss an episode when we drop new ones every Monday. I don't know what you've been told, Sixers, but the lawyers would like us to remind you that the views, opinions, and comments expressed on the Got Your Six podcast are solely those of the hosts or guests to include current and previous Department of Defense employees and should in no way be considered the opinions of or endorsements on behalf of the Department of Defense or any of its components, divisions, contractors, or other current and previous staff members.